surgeons keep our hearts beating. They do the amazing, help save lives, and so can you. Your CSL Plasma donation can help create 24 critical life-saving medicines that can give Grandpa the chance for his heart to swell when he meets his new grandson or give a bride the chance for her heart to skip a beat on her wedding day. Every plasma donation helps more than you know. Do the amazing. Help save lives. Donate today at your local CSL Plasma Center and be rewarded for your generosity. Hello and welcome to Let's Talk About It. This is your host, Taylor. And today we're going to be talking porn. We're going to be talking porn and parenting. We're going to be talking sex positive parenting. We're going to be talking master fetish training. We're going to be talking about uh, therapists being in sex work. We're really going to cover a plethora of topics today. And I could not be more excited to share these guests with all of you. I found Jet Setting Jasmine and King Noir through Erica Lust and their love and their sex and love in time of quarantine uh, documentary that was aired on X Confessions. And just just thought that Jasmine and King were so like they just had this beautiful personality together and their scene together was like very sexy uh they will definitely turn you on watching um and just started to do my own little investigation on who these people were and for me that has been a really cool part about enjoying uh the adult films that I watch is getting to know who's in them and doing some actual research and it just humanizes people that are in the sex field and that are sex workers and I just honestly am like fell in love with them as I was doing my research on them. They have their, you know, feet in so many different shoes. <laughs> they wear so many different hats. And I think they just are an incredible resource uh, that I am super excited to share with you all. I definitely fangirl a little bit in this interview. Um, but be sure to check the audio or not, sorry, not the audio, the, um, the notes description in this episode so that you can check out all the things things that they do, um, the workshops, the webinars, the films, um, even a replica of King's penis, if you dare <laughs> it. <laughs> I might need to get one myself after this. Um, so definitely be sure to check out all the links that are available in this episode and definitely give them a follow. Um, check out their radio, their films, all the things that they do. Um, so again, as always, remember as we go into these episodes to have open minds, open hearts, open ears. And um, I hope that you challenge yourself a little bit here. You know, a few episodes ago, we talked about sexual shame and religious sexual shame. And some of that might get triggered as we talk about this. Um it's not very frequently that you see sex workers um, openly also as parents, right? And I think there's a lot of stigma that we have around sex workers in general and that they can receive a lot of shame around being parents and being sex workers. So um, I hope again, you know, that we're coming into this with open minds and are excited to, to learn about a different way of life that maybe, um, maybe something you could never see yourself doing, maybe something that you've disagreed with even, but that that you can be open-minded to this and, and accept their 
their story, their reality as truth, and maybe even learn something. They might even encourage you to step out of your own comfort zone um, as they, you know, are actual educators and train and help work people help uh, people work through, um, you know, understanding their kinks and their fetishes. And um, just honestly, they offer so much. So <laughs> before I just keep talking about, you know, all the things that they do, I'm gonna let them share with you all the things that they do. And uh, this episode was just so much fun for me to do. And I'm really thankful for the opportunity to share it with all of you. Uh, So without any further ado, let's talk about it. All right. So welcome Jasmine and King to the show. I'm so excited for both of you to be here. I feel like I'm already very in love with you both and I'm super excited to get to know the both of you more. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah. Um, There are so many things I want to talk to you both about. You both do so many things in several spaces from music to podcasting to education to therapy to entertaining to training. Um, So many things. And (laughs) I'm like, I don't want to miss anything. So uh, can we start off with maybe just each of you kind of sharing like what your roles are in life from parenting to work? Like (laughs) what? (laughs) Tell us all a little bit about what you all do. Sure. Let's see if we can do this. In life. In life. She's okay. Don't miss nothing. Yeah. All right. So we are parents. Um, Mm -hmm. First and foremost, we have a 19-year-old, a soon-to-be 16-year-old, and a soon-to-be 2-year-old. And for that reason, we wear so many hats professionally to Mm -hmm. feed and to support them. Um, I am a clinical therapist and have been for the last 15, 16 years. And I am the owner and lead therapist for Blue Pearl Therapy. I am the co-owner with this gentleman of Jet Setting Jasmine LLC, which is a sex education and entertainment company. Um, We are also co-owners of Royal Fetish Films, our three-time award-winning Three times. Yes. Whoop, whoop. Count them. <laughs> award- whoop, whoop, whoop. Three times. <laughs> award-winning adult entertainment um, company. Okay. That's, that's, that's more. <laughs> All right. Okay. You want me to do the rest of it? Yes. We please. also uh, have Royal Fetish Radio, which is a mm-hmm. podcast that, you know, we, we have a couple of, uh, I guess, uh, categories for it now. Mm-hmm. We also do... Uh, Porn and Politics Radio as well, where we discuss politics and the ins and outs of how it intertwines and weaves with with sex. And then we also have Royal Fetish Records, where Jasmine Mm -hmm. is um, Diddy slash Suge Knight. Mostly (laughs) Suge. And I am the MC, writer, and and performer. Mm Mm-hmm. We also are master fetish trainers. We help people um, identify what their fetishes are and find healthy and orgasmic ways to live them in their everyday lives, whether that's as a solo, in a couple, in a group, whatever the setting is. Mm -hmm. And we also perform in front of the camera for our own company and also others who hire us out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That too. And we're ambassadors for Cam4, where we do live fetish shows weekly. Um, mm-hmm. We're friends. <laughs> oh, yes! we, are, we are also um, educators. Uh-huh. 
We yeah. do uh, <laughs> seminars on everything from porn and parenting to pervertibles, uh, during, pervertibles quarantine. during quarantine, <laughs> intro to kink. Yeah. And actually, uh, Saturday, June 6th, I will be doing a webinar um, called From the Spirituals to Hip Hop. It's the socio-political importance of Black music in America. I've actually been doing this since before I was quarantined. So, you know, I've actually had the opportunity and privilege to travel all over the world and, and give this lecture and everywhere from the London School of Economics to NYU to Cal Berkeley. So, you know, I'm, this is my first time doing it online. So it's going to be yeah. the, the quarantine and chill edition. <laughs> yeah, I love it. That's what we do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's, I'm like, this is gonna be like a five hour episode. Um, no, there are so many things that you both do. And all of it is so incredibly needed. Um, I think one of the areas that I definitely want to kind of start off on maybe selfishly here um, is you, Jasmine, being a therapist, but also being involved uh, in sex work and, and performing and just being within the sex industry itself. Um, can you talk to me a little bit about kind of what it was like for you getting into the sex industry as a therapist for the last 15 years? <laughs> so um, it's been very exciting. I, I had a conversation today with Psychology Today, which mm-hmm. I just, you know, it's kind of interesting. I feel like if I, if I didn't go into the sex industry, I would never have this opportunity to, ha- to mm-hmm. have a voice in my own profession, Right. Yeah. So I'm so happy that I did. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you can show your ass and so many wonderful things <laughs> can come from it. Um, but really, it was about my own self-exploration, my own um, my own desire to express myself sexually and be an image for other women that um, felt like me, where they weren't seeing their their, their bodies, um, their minds represented in their sex entertainment and education. And I certainly went into this knowing that I was putting my professional background at risk. Um, but also under the knowing that, you know, you can take my license, you can't take my knowledge or my skill set, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, just having an understanding that I may have to do my work as a therapist in a very different way if push came mm-hmm. to shove. And I've been very fortunate. There certainly have been challenges where I've been called to the table to defend my, you know, my mm-hmm. stance as um, as a therapist and my decision-making capacity, some would say. Um, yeah. But it's all, always been done understanding that that would be, that could be potentially a risk and that I may have some questions to answer because I never wanted to do it privately. Um, mm-hmm. I wanted to do it respectfully. Like, you know, there's, there's, there's no reason to necessarily intertwine the two, but I, I always want to show up as a full person wherever, you know? Mm-hmm. And so um, it has been challenging there. We've had some, some very nervous times as a family, just knowing that things may, may change. Um, but we also have been really prepared to work hard at diversifying our earnings, mm-hmm. as you can see, yeah. to make sure that if um, I was no longer welcomed in a therapeutic space, then, then we would be okay. Now, that being said, um, I have become, you know, my practice is very popular for other sex workers. Mm-hmm. And um, it's really even calling, calling for me to challenge other therapists to see how their practices may be traumatized and re-traumatized. Um, people that are in the sex industry or want to be in the sex industry or have been, um, how much of our own moral judgment 
or just judgments in general and cultural judgments are we putting into our practice that could be more mm-hmm. harmful than good. Um, so it's really nice to be able to use really both platforms to support, you know, each, the audience of each, which quite honestly, there's a lot of overlap. A lot of people in mm-hmm. therapy watch porn and a lot of people yeah. <laughs> watch porn either uh, use therapeutic services or should. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and for a, a lot of reasons why the, the two are so closely related because they're very intimate and they are very mm-hmm. telling of um, some of the things that we like to celebrate individually and, and things that we're also shameful about mm-hmm. as individuals. So um, it's been it's been quite rewarding. Uh, I can't say that everyone should try it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know? uh, but at the same time, I hope that it shows, shares a model for people that, mm-hmm. you know, the only job that should really have an interference and in if you have sex or not should be maybe religious. You know, I, I should have been a nun if I, um, if I wanted to be told by my profession what I can and cannot do with my body sexually, but I didn't. I became a therapist and I promote self-determination and empowerment for people, including myself. Speak on it. I love you. <laughs> I think, Thank you. I think also as, as Jasmine's partner in business, mm-hmm. being on set with Jasmine and so I was in the industry before Jasmine was. So mm-hmm. Jasmine stepping into this space and bringing all of her expertise and experience in the mental health world has made being on set different. You know, it's, it's in a, in a good way, you know, mm-hmm. she knows what to look for with people. She knows certain conversations to have with people prior to, especially like when we do things that are more on the extreme side of, of BDSM and kink or, yeah. you know, obviously, you know, when somebody, we, we have our conversations of, uh, you know, what are your triggers? You know, what are your hard limits? Things of that nature. But, Jasmine's expertise makes it get even more in depth in, mm-hmm. in that aspect. And then when we're actually filming and having a scene, her her capacity mentally just flourishes in those because she doesn't just have to use, you know, a, a tool or an item to, mm-hmm. to take somebody on this ride. She's using what she what she has built up all over all these years from being able to just pay attention to someone and the things that they've said. Mm-hmm. You guys. (laughs) I've been doing it. (laughs) Yes, y'all are doing it all. All right, it's time for a short break here. Uh, as we're talking about sex in this episode, it wouldn't feel right if I didn't also offer you um, a sex resource for some fun sex toys. Uh, you all have heard me share about Plus One on the podcast before, and I'm so happy to have them as a sponsor. They create these luxury but affordable sex toys that honestly have been some of my favorites to use. Um, I have the air pulsing arouse- arouser, and I named her Jill. Uh, and Jill is a deep dear friend of mine. Um, and if you all are looking to increase uh, your own sexual pleasure, increase your um, partnered sex with a toy, um, I definitely recommend checking out Plus One. They are now available at Walmart in Canada. So you can go to Walmart or www.walmart.ca um, and find your Plus One. They are also um, available in Target as well. Um, they have the air pulsing arouser in Target as well as some lube and cleaning wipes. And they also have a new wand. Uh, So definitely be sure to check out their 
variety of toys here. Um, I will say the wand and Jill, the air pulsing arouser, um, are two of my favorites, but they have plenty others for you all to look at. So definitely be sure to check out Plus One and we can get back to the show. Um, yeah, I mean, I have to say even from like, I've shared your profiles with a few other people that I know and, you know, uh, shared from the film that you did, um, on X Confessions as well and have received things from many people of like, oh, wow, like she's a therapist, but is also doing this. Like, how is that possible? And even for me, I mean, I will say you definitely are like holding space of a, to be an incredible model for that, where even I'm like, well, wait can I, <laughs> is it, like if she's doing this, like I can do this, right? <laughs> you most certainly can. And it was, you know, it's very, very nice to, when um, we, we reached out to each other online and I mm-hmm. saw it, I'm like, oh, she's a psychotherapist, you <laughs> yeah. know? And I'm like, oh, and there's a picture of her in a bikini. Okay, we can be friends, you know? Yeah. But, but there is this idea in our industry, mm-hmm. which is, um, it, it is really interesting that we are supposed to be kind of pure and humanless and void yeah. of, identity in order to provide care and you know but then we talk about cultural sensitivities and how our clients you know need to be able to relate to a certain to a certain extent with us and it's kind of like Mm -hmm. but how much do I give and how much you know and I I just I'm a full person the same thing in the sex industry and and I'm sure we'll talk about it more where we're supposed to just be like like uh, objectified sluts you know, and that doesn't allow for any range in the work that we do or, um, you know, Mm -hmm. it kind of uh, discredits other things that we may have to say and or think about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Well, and I like that you said, like, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. It's fine. I was going to say, I I like that you said, you know, showing up as a whole person. I think that that part is really important. Um, But I'm also curious, because King, you said that you were in this space before Jasmine started. But when you guys met, you were were in this space. And also just how did you get into this space? Yeah, um, I answered once. I just wanted to say, like, you know, you see it all the time online when men particularly lash out at women in the industry, it usually goes to a dis- discrediting of any point, any opinion, anything that a woman does mm-hmm. once. And it doesn't even have to be porn. It could just be like, you're the one who's posting pictures in, in a in bikini. Suit. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, like yeah. it's, it's crazy how that automatically for some people, uh, their bodies discredit them or their their, oh, yeah. their their ideas and choices of what to do with their own bodies mm-hmm. somehow discredits them in any way, mm-hmm. you know. But for for men, you know, when people lash out at me, they try to find a discrediting space in something else. They won't be like, you know, you got your shirt off in a picture. That's not how they'll try and discredit No, they'll go know. for your religion. Yeah, they'll, they'll go for something else, you know. It's, it's mm. interesting. Um, but no, I got into... I got into adult entertainment initially when I was first legally able to do so. Uh, mm-hmm. I had a friend, she was a, a dancer and they reached out to her to, to ask her to be in a magazine and she didn't want to be in the magazine uh, naked with a stranger. Mm-hmm. So she was like, yo, I know you, uh, like we had messed around. With her. She's like, I know what you're working with. I know you like exhibitionism and all this other kind of stuff mm-hmm. and you'll make good money doing this. So just, just say yes and come do it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that was my first experience. And then from there, I started branching out into uh, BDSM and cuckolding. And Mm -hmm. one thing led to another. And 
you know, just, uh, I think I've probably held almost any possible sex work job that you can have <laughs> in, mm-hmm. some, yeah. in some manner throughout, throughout my years. Um, and then I met Jasmine and Jasmine was on a radio show called the emotion picture. And they were interviewing me about what it's like to be in, be a sex worker and to date. Yeah, literally the, those quote questions were just coming up in my head. I'm like, I wonder what that experience is like for you. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, the, the thing that stood out to me about Jasmine, first and foremost, was that she had no filter in asking any of the questions. <laughs> you know, um, over, over the span of... of I don't know when when was that interview like maybe 2011 2011 so just within the span of that 9 years though there's been so much uh so many conversations that have been had in the public that mm-hmm. people are a lot more comfortable asking these questions mm-hmm. but in 2011 especially because people primarily knew me for hip hop and mm-hmm. during the time that Jasmine was interviewing me I I think I had just come back from Guinea-Bissau West Africa and we built uh, school, a freshwater well, and a medical clinic there. So people asking me about my sex work on radio shows that they just spoke to me about this on, they did not know how to do it whatsoever at all. So it's mm-hmm. kind of like going back to that other thing, like, oh, the good work that you've done is discredited because mm-hmm. you fucked on film, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So, but Jasmine didn't care. So her first question was just like, how do you not have AIDS and you're a porn star? You know what I mean? I was like, oh, okay. Like, so we don't get right to it. And, you know, I got to, and to me, that's important, you know, like the past system and, and uh, talent testing and all of these things that we do, you know, we're tested more than, than the average person. Most people don't get tested every year, let alone four or five times a month. Right. So like just being able to open up that conversation and then kind of like how, Jazz did her background on you. She did her background on me to find out, you know, we um, mm-hmm. we were both doing parties at the time and we decided to kind of like bring our talents together and double up on all, all the things that we were both in it for. You know? Yeah, and then we started going half on babies and here we are. <laughs> <laughs> we got what yeah. right. There we go. Yes. So... I feel like uh, a question that a lot of people have just when they get to know the two of you and, and seeing the work that you do is being in this space and raising children. I know you guys have taught workshops on sex positive parenting and being in the sex industry and also being parents. Um, how do you guys start those conversations with children? Um, what does that look like for the two of you? I mean, one of your children's 19 years old, she's very much an adult. <laughs> um, you know, how do you navigate the work that you do as a parent? Mm-hmm. I think first and foremost with that is everything has to be spoken about age appropriately. And this mm-hmm. goes whether you're in the industry or you're not in the industry, you know, having those conversations with your kids about um, their sexuality, sex, um, how what's appropriate, what's not appropriate. All these conversations are conversations that have to be had all the time. There's not one talk that you're ever going to have that's going to cover it all or all the things that they're going to experience or feel, whether it's before puberty, after puberty, during puberty, whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, so adding onto it the same kind of conversation that you have as an adult with whatever your profession is, because chances are, for the most part, kids don't care what you do. They just care that the food is there, the roof is over their head, you pay them the attention they want, and when that new toy comes out, they have it before their friends do. You know, So 
the the age appropriate is kind of like, you know, there is a point in time when it's like, hey, you're on social media, we got to block you, you know, or mm. you're out there on the computer and you're searching things that you shouldn't be searching because you're underage. So even worse, you'll probably find your parents on there. So <laughs> yeah. you, shouldn't search, you shouldn't be searching it in the first place. You know, but I think I think that people think that just because we're in porn that there's some kind of like conversation or something like I don't edit our films in front of our kids. Oh, That's yeah. completely inappropriate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. So, you know, I think people think like, oh, well, do you bring your work home in this way? I mean, your kids don't want to see what you do if you're a stockbroker neither. You know, they don't really mm-hmm. want to see you play with the market. Right. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's, like the same, it's like the same kind of thing. Yeah, I think um, it, it's also been gradual for us, which I think mm-hmm. is maybe a little bit different than some people who enter the industry um, from a space of like, like desperation or like, this is like, it's a decision that, you know, we were yeah. able to, as a couple decide, like, this is, this is that direction we're going to go for him back into making films and I'm going to, you know, enter. And so when you're able to make kind of like a thoughtful decision, then you can kind of see how you're going to launch this information to everybody. Right. So it's not like just the public. When we do anything, we have to have a soft launch at home. Like, you know, we're about to get a lot more attention in this area because we're going to be putting some explicit um, you know, information out, just kind of letting you know if people start following you because people do weird things and start following your kids, Um, you know, run it by us first to make sure that, you know, these people are safe. So we have to talk about things from a a couple of different ways, Um, maybe a a couple of additional ways. The safety perspective, um, Mm -hmm. the work that we do does put us at risk of, you know, people having ideas about us before they even know us, you know, Um, or people who don't like the things that we do and have, you know, some really, really hateful things that they may feel towards us or our family. So protecting Mm -hmm. our kids in that way. um, So no, they're never blindsided by, by anyone. Also giving them appropriate language to defend themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, we do the work, they don't. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, right now, because hot girl summers are like a, you know, a really yeah. big thing with our, um, well, a really big thing with all of us hot girls, but specifically with <laughs> <laughs> younger, yes. younger generations, um, those kind of things like allow them. I, I noticed that when people ask them, like, how do you feel about your parents? They're like, we fine, period. Like we're good. We got, yeah, you know, they're getting the bag. Like they have like their way of defending mm-hmm our family based on our needs are met. And this is not really a, what they do is not a discussion for you and I to have what they do. is a discussion. Mm. So even things like giving them the language, like if someone asks, like call us right away. If it's an adult, Mm. like put us on with them right away. You don't have to answer us. Um, Things like that. And then also what it means for us personally, you know, they see when we're happy, when something really cool, you know, comes of the the work that we're doing um and now our 19 year old is doing webinars with us people want to hear from her now they're like okay that's really nice she's an adult let her speak for herself um and so she's totally empowered by you know the fact that she has had a really good sexual education starting from home and she's also she knows she's going out into the world much more prepared than a lot of adults are so 
yeah. And then with our, our little one, you know, he's, he's a baby, but we are still, we're very mindful of using the anatomically correct words with him. Um, mm-hmm. His experience will be completely different because we won't be introducing him to what we're about to do. He's, yeah. He's going to grow up. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know, he'll always know that his parents were stars. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Three time award winning. Yeah. You're just going to keep adding those on there yeah. for sure. Yeah. No. And I think that I, I like the way the, the framing here around like, that's not a conversation for your child to be having with other adults that like those adults should come to you and have that conversation. Mm-hmm. I think that's definitely establishing some appropriate boundaries. And I think people's, I think that what people automatically think with if you are a sex worker and also a parent that like your child is watching you have sex all the time and like is exposed to that. That's not, you know, we don't want that. We don't have a take our kids to work in our industry. But I I think it's, it's also very important to say that, you know, we are trying to raise our children without the shame that most Mm -hmm. people grow up with. And there there shouldn't be a shame that's attributed to adults choosing to do adult things with other adults, you know, like just whatever that is, like it, Mm -hmm. it it doesn't have to specifically revolve around sex. You know, there's, Mm -hmm. there's ways that people place shame on, on people for the things that they enjoy as adults, just because they're adults. Like, no, we don't have to, you know, just work one way. We don't have to just play one way. We don't have to just live our lives in one specific way. We all have the ability to live the life that we see fit, you know, and I think that it's important to be able to raise your kids and say, like, you know, you have options in in life and the way that you can live. And I think that that has something to do with even beyond just sex work, Mm -hmm. you know, And, and the sex work aspect of it is don't be ashamed of your body. And when you're an adult, you can make adult decisions. Mm-hmm. And monetize, yeah. you can monetize, monetize your body as long as you're the one monetizing it. Yes. You know? Yeah. And, and just kind of speaking to that, I mean, one of the things that I have found just getting more into the sex industry, more, it, really just exposing myself more to different kinds of sex work um, is really that it almost feels kind of like it's a no brainer sometimes for me where I'm like, yeah, like why not? Like we have our bodies. If we can monetize that in addition to like whatever else we do, then like, why not? And even if that's the only thing you want to do again, why not? Right. Um, I mean, we, when you, when, when you really want to think about, we monetize our, our bodies all the time. You ever get dressed up for an interview? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? So there's so many ways that we um, are perfectly okay. You know, fitness Mm -hmm. trainers, things of that sort. We we use our body and the unique things we can do with our bodies, our makeup, our like all of those things to Mm -hmm. garner attention, to garner acceptability into certain places. Like we do it all the time. And I do understand, you know, taking it another level where we have defined like our things that we do in the bedroom to be incredibly private, to be, you know, and all these layers of whether it's religion and and, Mm -hmm. um, social acceptance. But if you personally don't subscribe to those things, that's, it's not your shame to hold. It's it's the responsibility of the people who don't agree with what you what you do to steer clear of it yeah. because it doesn't mm-hmm. meet their value set. Not not mine. 
I mean, we, yeah. we, live in, we live in a society that's willing to sell you sex in every single possible way yeah. imaginable. Yep. You know, they'll sell you sex to make you buy, you know, cola or, or you know, yeah. anything. Mm-hmm. But then if you are a woman that's breastfeeding, they'll be like, no, that can't be outside. Mm-hmm. But you literally just have a naked person drinking a Sprite or something. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So yeah. they, they try to make it seem like there's there's this separation that's only okay when it's done in one particular way. Right. Or they mm-hmm. sell you, you know, violence nonstop. And mm-hmm. violence is, is, is viewed on the television at all kinds of hours throughout the day. Yeah. But yeah. something yeah. that is actually two people showing love, like just kissing even you know, mm-hmm. it's still viewed and frowned upon. So it's all right mm-hmm. to change those, to change those ways. Mm-hmm. It's okay yeah. to combat those ways. And the two of you are definitely a great example of, of changing that. So thank you for that. Um, I do want to get into some of the BDSM kink uh, fetish training work that you both do. Um, can you maybe just talk a little bit first about the role that mental health plays with BDSM? I know that's something that you've done workshops on. Um, and I think there's unfortunately this stigma around BDSM that if you're into BDSM, you're super kinky and like something must be wrong with you. Yeah, that is the the stigma and the, the stereotype around it. And, um, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty, sad because we see people that are in, you know, marriages for 30, 40 years and they are doing heinous things um, with sex that have nothing to do with BDSM, um, but we don't put a whole label on, you know, mm-hmm. vanilla sex or, or you know, all of, all of these ways, like these I don't know. It just, it's really frustrating because when you do kind of come across that line and take a look at what happens in kink spaces, um, the high levels of communication, the high levels of self-awareness and awareness of your partner, consent, consent, um, Mm -hmm. there's some consent. Oh my goodness. Yes. Um, there's so much the, the empowerment of making your needs known, um, Mm -hmm. clear communication, setting boundaries, uh, before care, after care, you know, all like all of these things that we can really benefit from in our just day-to-day relationships. Forget the sex and the kink and yeah. the weather and the whips. Like just, if I could get this in a workplace setting, mm-hmm. then, you know, I, I think we would all be better for it. Um, the mental health aspect tends to come in pretty heavy when people have used, and there there are kink-friendly providers and, and things of that sort, so that your listeners know that they can, um, you know, maybe outside of us also find other kink-friendly um, professionals that mm-hmm. will help use the BDSM space to help people do things like communicate better with mm-hmm. their partners, to not disassociate during um, intimate play. Yeah. So um, to help us be, you know, a lot of people have come into the dominatrix world as finding a way to still participate in sex, but in a position that doesn't allow them to succumb to power dynamics where they have to take on, you know, the desires of their their partner, which we mm-hmm. often see in kind of regular traditional vanilla sex, which is generally cis male um, yeah. led. Yeah. So, you know, 
I've, I've been really fortunate to see a lot of people do some groundbreaking things in their own personal development through BDSM and just, mm-hmm. you know, talking about it from the context of how um, things are, there's some rules set in place already in, in that lifestyle that people can really lean heavy on when you're trying to build like this trust within yourself again to be allowed to be touched or to have autonomy of your body or to explore your body. So that has been, um, you know, it's been very interesting. I think something that's important to say to, to your, your listeners is that we don't suggest that you use BDSM in place of um, mental health support. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't, you know, it's definitely something that could be supplemental, you know, or it's, it's something that you can use to help explore limits and boundaries. But we certainly believe that those that are challenged with mental health or extensive mm-hmm. trauma should certainly speak and, and work with a professional in, in combination with what they may be doing in King Spaces. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so can you share a little bit about how being a master fetish trainer works? <laughs> <laughs> Like, what does that entail? Uh, <laughs> I imagine a lot of things. <laughs> so let's take you, for example. What, what, is, one of your, what is one of your fetishes? Um, you turn the tables right there. <laughs> I'm totally open to it. I'm totally open to it. Um, see, this is the thing, though. I think isn't like the way that we define a fetish something that's like non-vanilla? Well, really, a, a fetish is anything that turns you on that is not directly correlated to procreation. Oh, yeah. Um, I like, it really turns me on when guys make fires. Like, if you, like, build a fire, okay. I'm like, I want I want to attack you, and I want you to attack me. <laughs> so that's, that's a good one. Primal. That's, that's, that's good. I'm, I'm so primal. I'm like, I need a beard and a fire, and I am, like, good to go. <laughs> I like that one because not everybody knows how to build a fire. Yeah. It can be something that is dangerous. Oh, yeah. Can be something that's even fatal, right? Mm-hmm. So let's say you're with a partner and let's just say your partner is uh, no camper. Like he's just like, I do not, I've never built a fire in my life before. Let's say he doesn't even fully understand the primal aspects of it for you, but he's right. great in every other way. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you, you guys come to us, like we're trying to incorporate this particular fetish into our sex life. So mm-hmm. first and foremost, you know, we find out all of his hard limits and he's like, Oh no, I have no problems with fire. I just don't know shit about fire. Mm-hmm. Cool. So we'll find ways to start with fire play or just start with fire in ways to kind of bring him into it. Right. Mm -hmm. So even like some people have certain fears in regards to their partner's fetish, but it might not be a fear that's that's like, I'm afraid to ever try it. But, you know, there are a lot of men out there who are like, you know, I'm scared to spank my wife because I I think it might hurt her and I don't want to. So maybe you're like, yeah, I want I want to just rub fire like all over my body or Mm -hmm. put some fire, do some cupping with some fire on my back. And he's like, Mm -hmm. yeah, I don't even know how to really strike a match, bro. Like, help me. (laughs) So, you know, we we would start with um, something very, very small. Start with something and incorporate it into your into your sex life and just kind of work its way up. And being that, you know, we both know how to watch out for safety. We know to how to give people the language to Mm -hmm. feel comfortable with each step. 
you know, it, it's this. It's, it's kind of like it, it works in so many ways because some some people come to us and they don't even know what their fetish is, right? Or don't yeah. want to acknowledge that they have a fetish because of exactly what you said earlier. Oh, I have a fetish. That means I'm some kind of kinky freak, you know, mm-hmm. and something so is wrong right. with me. So yeah. you know, we have to come from it from the mental health aspect of no, there's nothing wrong with you. We always tell people as long as you leave children, animals, and people who say no or do not have the ability to say no out of it, you know, rock on, like find Mm -hmm. your tribe is and rock with them. But so as a trainer, we work people through all of these steps from people who are searching for to people who have found and are just trying to find a way. And we Mm -hmm. walk through those steps in safe ways and Mm -hmm. creative ways as well, because I don't know. Both of us have some really creative, uh, kinky minds that we're like, oh, have you tried this? I know. I'm like, oh, wait, we got to talk offline. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Well, I'm glad that you asked me that question, too, of like what my fetishes are, because I don't I mean, that's the first one that that comes to mind, because I think. I think of like, yeah, things that turn me on, but I don't necessarily look at it from a perspective of like it being a kink or it being a fetish. Um, In the last like two years, I definitely experimented a little bit more with different elements of BDSM. Um, I actually did have a a listener DM about cuckolding and I haven't done a full episode on it, but um, curious just kind of what your experience, I think you mentioned that earlier about cuckolding and... um, you know, I don't know if that even would be considered a fetish, but I'm like, yeah, that's something that I definitely experimented with and was able to find areas of that that did turn me on. Um, but I don't, I, I guess I've never like labeled any of these things as fetishes. I'm just kind of like, yeah, that's what turns me on. Like, that's what I like. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, that's the beautiful thing about fetishes and acknowledging that we all have them, right? Because mm-hmm. every single human has, we all have them. Yeah. And none of them are the same. So, like, let's say fire, for example. You were very specific. I like watching a man build a fire, start a fire. Other people might yeah. be like, you know, um, I want to feel burnt. I want I want little singes of fire. Or I like dancing around fire. So, like, even something like cuckolding, you know, um, in cuckolding scenarios, you have a cuckold, you have the wife, and you have a bull, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, of those three things, think of the possibilities for all the turn-ons for each one you know Mm -hmm. so not all cuckolds are the same some people some people want to watch and never engage other people want to be like Mm -hmm. this close other people want to be in the other room they don't even want to be anywhere near it and they want to ask you questions about it Mm -hmm. later others don't even want to know they just want to maybe smell someone else on you like it's Mm -hmm. so so different for every single person and Mm -hmm. all of these uh different idiosyncrasies and, and, and avenues that we have within our fetishes are like ways that help you discover your partner mm-hmm. or discover mm-hmm. your lover. Like, wow, what, what got you into that? Do you know, you know, yeah. the exact moment that fire turned you on was, mm-hmm. was it something, you know, when you were younger, is it something that happened recently or is it just, I don't know, you saw mm-hmm. Lord of the flies or something and you were just like, <laughs> oh, it's popping, whatever. You know, there's yeah. so many different things that, that bring it out of us, that it's like a beautiful mm-hmm. way of discovering not only ways to please your partner, but actually get to know them. Yeah, and yourself. Yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. 
Yeah. And I think it's, I mean, you know, I think back to my conversations with that partner in the beginning and there was so much fear and opening up about those fantasies because they were kind of mainly fantasies at that point. Mm -hmm. Um, And there was just so much fear and opening up about those. So I definitely think, you know, it both first of all you guys are just an amazing combination here uh but especially the the piece that you guys can add around mental health and just around communication as trainers to walk people through this um i imagine is incredibly powerful work um because it's not something that people get to see necessarily in a healthy form in any kind of like mainstream way i mean when it comes to bdsm like there was you know the Christian gray stuff that came out. And I think even parts of that were like questionable and, but it did give it some attention for people to be able to get interested in it. Um, I'm, I'm curious just kind of what is, if you can think of anything like the most common situation or scenario or thing that gets brought to you both as like, as a trainer in this space. I have, I have have one. Um, Oftentimes we, we get um, lovely, lovely wives saying, you know, I want my partner to handle me the way I saw like King handle you or, or some mm. other body or, um, mm-hmm. you know, I want my partner to be more rough with me. Yeah. Um, or be ravaged. Yeah. That's me. I'm like, that's me. I'm like, build a fire, have a beard, ravage me in the woods. <laughs> Outdoors. Yeah, see, we can be learning more as we yeah, go. I'm re- yeah, I'm really primal. <laughs> so that that one tends to be quite common. And what we find, and this is a cool combination, is that there's a there's patterns to that. Like, you know, we'll we'll have a consultation call with with mm-hmm. wife, and sometimes the wife, wife. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> wife. <laughs> client number one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And then the funny thing is, like, she'll surprise her husband to the conversation. She'll be like, whoa, whoa. (laughs) (laughs) Things like that that show us immediately, like, huh, communication. (laughs) Yeah, communication is key. Um, I get get that also in the the reverse. Mm -hmm. I'm getting messages from guys who are like, I want to be, I want to be cuckolded. I want, I want to watch you with my wife. I want you to do what you do with Jasmine with my wife. But but it's funny because it'll be like... Where is wife? Is this just a conversation you want us to have, just us guys? Or because she has to have something to do with this. She can't not have a conversation. Yeah. So, so yeah. that part, you know, or how, how do I introduce, how do I make my partner kinky? That's another one. How, how, do, I, yeah. um, how do I tell my partner I want to do these things without um, hurting their ego, you know, without them thinking something's wrong with me? Mm-hmm. Um, or where did I, where, 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 did, I did, where did you learn that? Yeah. That's exactly. the other one. People really, it mm-hmm. seems, and this goes even without just the kinky mm-hmm. things that, when a partner brings up something new sexually to a partner, mm-hmm. there's a large tendency for partners to be like, who are you cheating with? Yeah. yeah or, to be like, skeptical. Did you learn like mm-hmm. people just can't grab a new fantasy from thin air or watching porn or mm-hmm. anywhere, watching a regular TV show. Right. So mm-hmm. in those situations, you know, we really help people just have that initial conversation. And sometimes it's like as simple as like, send them this podcast. And say, I stumbled upon this podcast and they were talking about these kinky things in the fire in the wood. Yeah. What do you think about it? The fire in the wood. That's the name of the scene. The fire, fire in, in the, the wood. Fire in the wood. Okay, yeah. is that going to be my first scene? I think that'll be my first scene. There we go. 
So, um, and so, so using like, you know, media like this or meme mm-hmm. or something to stimulate conversation. Um, and then, you know, we get into a little bit more of the particulars with, I think King mentioned a really important one. Like I want to do those things, but I don't want to hurt my partner. How, mm-hmm. I, and, and having a real hard time understanding the pleasure in pain. Um, and then, you know, we do our whole science lesson breakdown on it and helping them kind of understand that, no, you're actually, you'd be enhancing um, yeah. partner's experience. So those are some pretty common ones. It's just kind of getting out the communication part. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I imagine that the communi- the communication piece just sounds so huge in, in all of this. Um, and unfortunately is very much left out of our sex education and a lot of times in our, in our childhood as we're being <laughs> raised. So I can, I mean, I already see this, but I'm like, hopefully this will also help listeners have a better understanding of how, you know, it's, you do not have to immediately think it's a red flag or it's something negative that uh, parents can also be sex workers. Uh, that There's actually a lot that they can bring to their child's uh, growth and experiences around sex, around having healthy communication that can be really positive. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, One other area I want to make sure that we touch on while I have you both today um, is around being people of color within the sex space. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of things that I've struggled with, at least in my own viewing of porn, is not being able to see a lot of people that look like me. And when I do, they just seem like very objectified and like very, very, um, yes, it is sex, but almost like over-sexualized, if that makes sense. Like, to just to where it doesn't feel comfortable. And a lot of the images that we do see of sex and of porn stars, um, I feel, hasn't always had a really healthy, positive representation around people of color. Um, So I'm curious what it's been like for the two of you, um, individually and maybe together, too, of just what that experience has been like being working for yourself, but also working for others, um, navigating the industry of, of sex as, as people of color. Well, I, I like to talk about things from the perspective of being an owner first, just because mm-hmm. I shit is boss, but, um, <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> no, own but it. Um, no, it's funny. Like we, we also own the gym, right? And people <laughs> used to come to our gym and they would ask us where like the manager is or where the owners are. And I'll be like, you know, you're looking at them right here. Mm -hmm. And I do find that happens, um, particularly when we were first starting, like now people recognize us, but there Mm -hmm. used to kind of be like a thinking that we were go-betweens or that Mm -hmm. someone else had built this for us or especially in regards to the fetish and kink sides of Mm -hmm. things because a lot of people in the fetish world don't feel that we belong. You know, mm-hmm. and that and that has that goes way deeper than just porn and 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 fetish films. You know, there's people who don't think that we belong anywhere. So yeah. it just is like a microcosm of everything else. Absolutely. But then um, you know, as a performer, I have dealt with racism in probably every aspect you can imagine. And sometimes I've dealt with it while I was naked, which really fucking sucks. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, oh um, my like I, I can I can laugh at it now just because of the ridiculousness of it. But you know, I've been called a nigger on set before. Mm. Um and the person who said it was offended that I was offended. White fragility. Yeah. Um I've I've been, 
you know, referred to as the black guy, even though I've already been introduced to everybody by name. name. And not only do you have my performer name, but to even get started, you had to do my paperwork. So you got my government name too, you know? And, you know, things like that. Um, the fact that, you know, it's not as common a practice in 2020, but that's only because they started changing it in 2019, maybe, was, um, you know, a lot of white female performers would charge more to work with, uh, with black talent because, you know, not because of size difference or anything like that, but because because of image, stigma, the stigma that comes with being with a with a with a black man that now somehow that they're stained or tainted, you know, you still see a lot of a lot of major companies still putting out the same kind of stereotypes of of black men, whether it be you know prison gangbang forty five mm-hmm. or you know street thug or, you know, black women have to twerk, even though, you know, she started out as the CEO of a company and now you got her twerking on the table. Um, Latinas are, are pretty much always spicy and hot. Uh, mm-hmm. Asian women are always portrayed as some sort of subservient um, position. And this is like constant across the board. And, you know, these, these things are, it's tired. Because it's it's not true. You know, we consume just as much as anybody else mm-hmm. does. And we want to see true depictions of ourselves. And that's what led us to start World Fetish Films. You know, when we were doing our parties, you know, primarily for, for women of color, and they would be like, yo, where's, where's the porn where I don't have to be uh, hoochie or, or, or twerk chick, mm-hmm. you know, that, that shows all of who I am. Like, where's the passion? Where's the kink? Where's the love? Where's the whatever, the the primal sex? All of those things. But it it always, in order for them to try and make it sell, in their mind, they had to do a stereotype. But really, interracial, ebony, what are like the categories, are some of the highest selling things. And it has nothing to do with the stereotypes. It has to do with the beauty of what we do. Yeah. Mm Echo. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. much, much the same. Um, my experience has been a little bit different because I primarily shoot for our company. Mm-hmm. Um, we know we're, we are fortunate to have that kind of control of what our sets feel like, the people that we work with, how it's going to look post. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, nothing brings me more joy than being on a set that either I am going to be in or that I'm just on set where I get to put coconut butter and coconut oil on my fellow sisters and brothers because mm-hmm. we do not want to see their ashy, you know, <laughs> yep. little yep. Uh, small little details that can totally throw off your experience watching mm-hmm. porn, right? And could totally um, reduce your confidence as a performer if you see that. Uh, yes. on the other end yeah. so like those small little uh, details of attention that, that we we don't receive or you know I, I know that you've done a lot of work um, on the other side of the camera where you know I'm sure you've thought like oh gosh I hope this makeup artist knows how to work with you know mm-hmm. oh yeah I always ask that I say have you done like people of color's makeup before like if I look on your profile and it's all white brides that you've done I'm like are you gonna know how to do my makeup and it look right yeah things like that like that or you know the couple of times that I've been on set where um they've asked for me to bring my own foundation like why 
that, that you're the makeup artist. I should yeah. be doing that, you know, um, you know, things like that, or wigs that we see off centered and, and, and you know, mm-hmm. an inch above. like those, those things, if this, this industry is about, um, attending to people's fantasies, if we really should be paying attention to the detail and we should be considering everyone's fantasy, you know, I mean, obviously we can't please everyone, but you could damn damn sure make sure that everyone on set is their best representation of themselves. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's one of the things for us is like, you know, before we, we shoot a scene, we ask if, you know, what's the title going to be, yeah. um, you know, w- these are our limits, you know, no race play there. I don't want my titles to go out with like, you know, black angry bitch does, you know, Bobby or something, you know, like things like, I don't want to perpetuate stereotypes yeah. in our in our sex work because we also know what it's like on the other end of those stereotypes they're dangerous for sure Mm -hmm. yeah you know and when we do these like porn and parenting class or porn versus reality class we ask the audience where did you learn about sex 90 percent of people learned about sex or thought they learned about sex by watching porn so whatever we're giving somebody in those 15 seconds that like as young people, they're catching a glimpse of, I just really, really want those 15 seconds to not damage them any further than probably watching porn at an inappropriate age is going to do, you know, on top of like the race, the the race issue or the stereotypes and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I I think about um, one specific scenario all the time. Mm -hmm. Whenever people ask this question, I was supposed to be, on um, shooting a scene for this one company, um, what the hell's the name? Asylum, A-S-S, Asylum, right? <laughs> and they only Asylum. Had, yeah, the, super creative. It's about yeah. <laughs> um, so they they always have uh, women as patients in this in this hospital, and the men are always um, doctors or or orderlies. So they initially, you know, they said, yeah, yeah, you're on as either a doctor or an orderly. Fine, whatever. The day before, they're posting all these things on their on their Twitter about, you know, we're out getting all the equipment for this shoot tomorrow. And I noticed, I'm like, damn, all the stuff they're getting looks super janitorial. <laughs> that don't look like stuff I you get at the doctor. I've never seen a doctor in a bucket. <laughs> so... I have, I have my, my agent reach out to them and they were like, yeah, he's going to be a janitor. And I was like, they have never had a janitor on this site before. And I'm going to be the first black man on their site. And they're going to make me a fucking janitor. Like, nah, that's not going to happen. Most wow. of this Dr. Noir sounds awesome. But anyway, <laughs> like they, I was like, nah, you're not going to do that. So they, they, they tried to respond like, oh, nah, like, it's not even about that. It's not a race thing or whatever. I was like, all right, so let's not make me the janitor then. Do that janitor scene with somebody else. They're like, sorry, we can't do that. Like, it's written in now. Like, come on, bro. So, you know, like, in those kind of situations, you're tell- they were trying to talk it off as a coincidence. Mm-hmm. But it's like, yo, y'all have had a 100 shoots before and never had a janitor. And never had a black man. And then somehow, randomly, <laughs> the two just come together. Get the fuck out of here. So wow. anyway, I wound up, obviously, not shooting with them. 
But, yeah. you know, like those kind of scenarios and those kind of situations, that's coming from somebody who clearly has a, a mind state that it's, it's not just the porn. Mm-hmm. So I've had other performers who worked with them also say, yeah, this guy treated me in a particular way, you know, and yeah. also they were the ones with the, they had two scenes, the exact same scene. One was a white woman, one was a black woman. The white woman was anal, anal queen, anal queen. Anal queen. Mm-hmm. The black woman was hip hop asshole or whatever. Yeah. Hip hop anal. Hip hop anal hmm. or something like that. Same. And we don't even know if that sister like hip hop. Same that. <laughs> Same costumes, same, like, like the only thing that was different was the color of the ass and, yep. and the, the labeling. Um, I think it's important, you know, King and I are, I, 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 I need to talk about this from a privileged standpoint, from the perspective of, like, we, we've done what we needed to do to be able to say, no, no, thank you, or mm-hmm. fuck out of here, I'm not going to be, yeah. you know, I'm not going to do this, or no, I'm sorry, I don't know how to to speak in that way for your film. You know, all of these, we're able to say no. Mm -hmm. A lot of performers are not in that position. And we understand that um, full, you know, wholeheartedly. A lot of performers are not in a position where they can negotiate a contract before their scene comes out, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So understanding that we, we do take a lot of heavy lifting and having these conversations because we know that our fellow performers might jeopardize. And we know we don't get some work because... We don't get a lot of calls from a lot of companies, but also some of those companies, we already told people like, yeah, we, we don't want nothing yeah. to do. Right. Like, and, mm-hmm. you know, so there is a blackballing, so to speak, mm-hmm. if, if you speak out of, about these things. And we understand that. And this is why we take the liberties whenever we have them to do so. But mm-hmm. we put a lot of pressure and challenges on people to be ethical consumers of porn. You know, mm-hmm. if some like if you got to do a, like 15 extra minutes of searching to mm-hmm. make sure that you're watching something that is a, a good representation that you're going to feel better like not just mm-hmm. sexually, but also, yeah. you know, in your mind about the kind of content that you watch, like, please take a couple extra minutes to find that work that you can actually say, like, that person looks like they are properly cared for, or this doesn't look mm-hmm. like a stereotype. This looks like two people having sex, you know, mm-hmm. or um, I, I'm, I'm not going to watch another film where uh, a um, an Asian woman is a massage therapist. Like, I'm, I'm not I'm not going to do that anymore. Yeah. You know, yeah. Things like that. I do think that consumers may be in a better position to demand quality um, and more equitable scenes and, and respectful scenes than mm-hmm. some performers are able yeah. to. I, you know, I know it's a shared responsibility thing, but um, I think the consumer has less to lose. People like King and I have a little less to lose in in terms of being able to speak up against these kind of companies mm-hmm. that that just keep making life harder for us. Not just in the sex space, but this is what young men and women are are learning. And mm-hmm. it just you know we see people do porn acts in their regular sex that end them mm-hmm. up in the hospital. <laughs> yeah. you know. So or, or people who think that you know because they saw that scene where somebody used the mm-hmm. the N word on somebody in the scene yeah. that it's okay to speak yeah. to somebody like that in the street mm-hmm. or because they've seen all these porns where it was, you know, black man with a white woman, then they automatically are responding to that mm-hmm. when they're out mm-hmm. well, like, oh yeah, this black guy, he wants to fuck my girlfriend. 
Yeah. I'm going to hook him up and have this, try to have this completely inappropriate conversation with him. Yeah. You know, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things I noticed, um, this was probably last December, I think it was. Yeah. When I uh, discovered Tumblr and not discovered it, but discovered it in like a sex way mm-hmm. uh, that it was a big space for that. And after they did their whole sweep, you know, from like removing sex, there were still a lot of things that actually showed up on my profile and almost all of them were black men with white women. Mm-hmm. And where I was like, how is it that y'all got rid of all this other stuff? But like, you still have all these depictions of these stereotypes of black men coming up. And then also with uh, black men and, and white women where I was just mm-hmm. like, this was not like, I don't know. It just disturbed me on, on some level, but I think part of what you're talking about here with like the consumer, um, you know, trying to be more conscious and intentional about their usage. I think so many people have no clue where to even start to understand how do I know if this person is being treated ethically behind scenes? How do I know if they are being paid properly? And I think because that information feels difficult to find, um, it, it seems like there's either just a complete rejection of porn that is this terrible thing that if you watch porn, you are contributing to sex trafficking and you're contributing to these people being abused and, you know, being used sexually and um, all these really negative things where like, I love all the things that you're both doing because I think it does show a different representation of what sex work can look like and of how people can actually be empowered and learn some things as well and and have that be relatable and have that be ethically done. Um, But how would you kind of walk someone through or recommend for someone to be able to feel empowered in their porn usage and that it's ethical and not contributing to, you know, some of these terrible things that we know some mainstream porn is perpetuating? So um, the, the the easiest thing for me is, you know, if, if the title and, and, and the, um, kind of like the trailer to it or, or the gift um, perpetuates a, a stereotype that would make mm-hmm. you feel yucky outside of the bedroom. Just skip it. Skip yeah. it. Yeah. Skip mm-hmm. it. And, and whether the people in it are being paid or not, yeah. like, I think it is, um, I think you're right. It is very difficult to find out, you know, the paper trail of a company, especially like at two in the morning. Like, <laughs> yeah. You know, you're yeah. You're like, I just, mode. yes. Yeah. Um, that yes. Might, that's something for a, you know, a later project or, you know, obviously if you're listening to this, follow, you know, people yes. that we follow, right. Yeah. That, um, um, that, mm-hmm. No, I was just going to say, you know, go directly to the, to the, uh, performers. You know, mm-hmm. go to their Twitters, uh, even Instagram, OnlyFans or whatever. But if you're going through a company, I usually suggest companies where they do uh, pre and post interviews. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because mm-hmm. then you're going to see, you know, someone's like, I'm here because I want to be here. We're about to do X, Y, and Z. I'm looking forward to it. Or I'm kind of a little shy about it, but we'll see how it goes or whatever. Then you see the post interview and they're like, oh my God, this is the greatest shit ever. Or they were like, you know, that one thing I could have done without that, but all the other stuff, that shit was awesome. You know what I mean? And not, Mm. you know, when you're in desperation mode, are you going to watch all of that? But the fact that that it even (laughs) exists for mm-hmm. for them to speak about it, you know, um, we actually post some of our pre and post interviews that are suitable for work and everywhere on on our Instagrams, and we post them on our um, on our uh, YouTube and X videos mm-hmm. and things like that, so people can just see some of the conversation 
that yeah. revolving around consent and what what all we're going to try and do. And I think that Love always that. adds like a different level to it because now it's real. You know, this is somebody mm-hmm. who's really experiencing this. And I mean, I speak for myself, like to me, that adds to it. You know, mm-hmm. it doesn't, for me, it doesn't take away. For me, it adds to it because I'm like, this person really liked it. Yeah. So when I'm watching it and they're, they're not faking an orgasm, they're not doing the kind of like you said earlier, the over-sexualized while they're having sex where it's just yeah. so boring. Because <laughs> you're like, are you even there right now? Like, are, yeah. are, are, you, are you reading something on your eyelids right now? Because this yes. is going to be really boring for both of us, you know? Like, yeah. That, that kind of stuff. Um, you know, when people are really into it and they're like, yo, I do this shit in my everyday life. Like we have people who come to us that want to film with us and be like, so I'm really into this thing. Uh, I really like being tied up with Saran Wrap. Would you mm-hmm. do it, Jasmine? Because I feel comfortable with you doing it. Mm-hmm. So now when they're doing it, you're seeing like, oh, this person is really, really into that. Yeah. So like it takes it up a notch, I feel. Yeah. Awesome. yeah. I love that. I think that's such a good thing to to be able to show that kind of before and after. And it also just kind of helps model some of that communication too, which yeah. I think is super important. And, and who doesn't want to rub one out or bust an ethical nut? Like after when you're done, not only do you feel good physically, but mentally now you're just like, ooh, and I feel good mm. about it. Like, <laughs> it, it yes, no guilt. No guilt. It's good. No guilt. It's good. <laughs> Bust an ethical nut. That's yes. that's gonna that's gonna go that's on the podcast royal, Instagram. That's royal yeah. fetish twenty twenty. Bust an ethical nut. That's all people are gonna take from this. Great. <laughs> Great. Yeah. This is the ethical nut episode. There you go. I got. You. There we go. We got the title. Bust an ethical nut. <laughs> in the fire in the wood. Fire and wood. Oh, yes. <laughs> wow. This has been so amazing. Thank you both so, so, so much. Um, can you share a little bit with listeners kind of where they can find you? I mean, we're going to have all the links for all the things you both do in episode notes uh, for people to check out as well. But just <laughs> where where should people go to find you? Uh, I can be found at jetcityjasmine.com and um, jetcityjasmine on most forms of social media with an exception of Twitter and OnlyFans. It's jetsetjasmine. You can find us both on royalfetishxxx.com, kingnoirxxx.com, at the real King Noir on Instagram, at King Noir on Twitter, and OnlyFans. Okay. And Sex Positive Parenting on Instagram yep. and Porn and mm-hmm. Parenting on Twitter because apparently Instagram doesn't like the word porn. No, they really oh. don't. And um, also uh, Royal Fetish Radio yeah. is available mm-hmm. wherever you get your podcast. Yeah. And mm-hmm. really just 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 Google the hell out of us one night. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I have done it. And I'm like, there's so much here. This is so exciting. That's what's up. Yes. Well, thank you both so, so much. This has been amazing. Thank you. Thank you for having us. All right. That does it for today's episode. Thank you so much for making it all the way through and keeping your ears, your hearts, and your minds open. It would mean so much to me if you could take a second or two after listening to this episode to leave a review on iTunes and let me know what you're enjoying about the show. I love reading you know, what your favorite episodes are, where you guys listen, um, and definitely feel free to share this with a friend. I mean, part of how we break down the stigmas around these topics is by talking about them, right? And, and sharing them with more people. So definitely share the podcast 
podcast um, and again, really wanting to include all of you in this podcast. So if you have questions or you want to share a thought or an experience, please send in a voice memo to ask.letstalkaboutit at gmail.com. And I'm really excited to keep having these conversations and uh, breaking down these stigmas. So thank you all so, so, so much. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week and I'll talk to you next time. Surgeons keep our hearts beating. They do the amazing, help save lives, and so can you. Your CSL Plasma donation can help create 24 critical life-saving medicines that can give Grandpa the chance for his heart to swell when he meets his new grandson or give a bride the chance for her heart to skip a beat on her wedding day. Every plasma donation helps more than you know. Do the amazing. Help save lives. Donate today at your local CSL Plasma Center and be rewarded for your generosity.